So this is the third in the series from Revelation, Red Letter Cities. Um, I was on a train. I'm on a train regularly, actually. I go on a train for my work quite a lot. I was on a train just before Christmas coming back um, from London. I usually try and pack in my days, try to burn the candle at both ends a little bit. Uh, so I get an early train down to London, put loads of meetings in, get a nine o'clock train home. That gets into York at 10 past 11. That's all right. Then get a, a, either, either a bike ride or more likely a taxi ride at that time of night home and can just about get in bed for half 11. That's all right. So that's the, that's the plan. But the other day, just before Christmas, I'm sitting on the train waiting for it to leave. And they said, there's going to be a delay. Oh. Okay, so eventually we left at 10 p.m., an hour later than normal. And you know when you're delayed in, in a train, then you go behind, like, other silly trains, don't you? So you have to go really slow while they, like, get in. You're out of sync, basically, so it takes ages. So we got in. I don't, we were into Doncaster well past midnight, and I just thought... I, I'm sick of working now because I just worked the whole time. So I thought, right, I'm going to put something on my laptop. I put some film on. I thought, I'll just watch that until we get to York. The next thing I know, all is still. All is quiet. I slightly come round, realise I've dozed off. Mm. That's, oh, I didn't mean to fall asleep. Hang on, the train's not moving. I look out the window and it says, York. I'm like, oh no, grab my coat, grab my bag, shove everything into the laptop, leave the water bottle, who cares, run off the train as quick as I can, jump onto the platform, beep, 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 shuts behind me, I've made it, just in time, I had to wake up seriously quickly, by the way, for, not for now, but for, for later, Christian Selvratnam did this, but he didn't wake up in time, and he slept in Thursk station all night. That's a story for another day, but I thought you might like to know that. So um, we're go hopefully going to get a wake-up today, because I think this message that Jesus gives the city of Sardis is like that moment on the train where you're like, <gasps> and the cho your choice is, are you going to wake up? Are you going to sleep through the station or not? Are you going to sleep through the, uh, the service? It takes some of us some time to, to come round, doesn't it? Sometimes, even, even in a warm room like this, it's possible to doze off with a message like this. In fact, when I was rehearsing this talk with the big lads who have been leading the meeting for us today, um, uh, this was four, 10 past four um, on, I think, Wednesday, and uh, Sam dozed off. <laughs> during my talk, and, and it was not lost on me in the sense of the irony, that he fell asleep while I was preaching the message from Jesus, don't fall asleep. So I had to wake him up and give him the news that I'm not sure he knew he'd nodded off or possibly thought no one noticed. You know, when you're just like, got away with it, definitely got away with it. Anyway, I, f I don't know him really well, but I figured out I think he can cope with the bants. So he fell asleep. Hopefully you'll be able to stay awake. Um, but actually most of us have ways that we doze off and fall asleep in our own life metaphorically, right? I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, sometimes I feel like we're sleepwalking through our own lives. It feels like we are not alert. We're distracting ourselves to death. There are so many things that prevent us from being fully alert and fully alive to all that God has got for us, to all the goodness that is around us in the world. And yet somehow we find ways 
of numbing ourselves. Perhaps it's uh, an over-reliance on alcohol. Perhaps it's uh, over-indulging on Netflix series. Perhaps it's um, unhelpful friendships or whatever it happens to be. We all find ways of covering our pain and we all find ways of slightly anesthetizing ourselves from being fully alive. We all live in this slightly not quite awake zone and some of us do it to greater degrees and I believe the message today is it's time to wake up. So this, uh, this series that we've been looking at in Revelation uh, that goes uh, from seven different cities uh, is that is what God is saying to the church. Now the re- that's what Jesus is saying to the church. So this is interesting because Jesus doesn't say anything else to the church, does he? Because when he was on earth, uh, there wasn't a church. And then it was formed after he ascended into heaven. So uh, it's worth taking note of these things. And they're hard things to listen to. They're not easy things that we just listen to and go, isn't that nice? Cuddly old Jesus or sweet Jesus or whatever you called him is, is at it again. These are some hard words that are worth listening to. Um, but we need... Reminding because we as the church get it wrong. We as people, as disciples of Jesus, are going to get it wrong. Uh, lots of you will probably know Ray, Rosie Fraser. I used to work with Rosie Fraser. Uh, she's from Essex, brilliant uh, girl. And so she, and she's now in Leeds. So when she worked for Fusion, uh, she was on stage being interviewed uh, by a New Wine Leaders thingy, um, which is like a big church leaders conference. So they were interviewing her about what fusion was. She was new in the job and didn't quite know what to say. So they said, so tell us more about fusion and why do you want to work with the local church? And Rosie said, well, the church, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's just, it's the bride of Christ, isn't it? And that was, so that was her like answer, which we probably worked on a little bit as in her time with Fusion went on to sharpen it up a bit. But actually, the, there was something in the truth of what she said that was bang on. It's the bride of Christ, it's the church. And Jesus has something to say to his bride. He wants it to flourish. He wants it to be the best it possibly could be. And he knows that we get it wrong. So we need some rebuke, we need some encouragement, we need some challenge, and we need some cheering on. The church is God's plan A, and there isn't a plan B. So these red letters that he writes are worth taking note of. And it was one of his disciples, John, who had a kip on an island called Patmos, uh, in which he had this vision, uh, probably written about 100 AD. And uh, he had this vision, and in this vision, Jesus said, write this down and say this. So the first thing he says is, say to the church in Sardis, to to the angel of the church in Sardis, right and then he has something to say so what we should clock here is there isn't like a hovering angel over the top of the church of sardis or in fact over thyatira or pergamum or any of the other ones that's not what's being said here it's not one of the uh, angel of god that have wings or not that any of them do in the bible um but it is in fact the church leader the word used here is more akin to messenger so to the person who gives the message to the people uh, write this, okay? So basically a church leader is referred to as an angel. Now, I thought that probably we should give our church leader here some, these are meant to be angel wings. I'm not sure they are, but I was thinking Holly would just like to wear these. <laughs> She'll just be happy about it. 
Probably Ben will as well. So I'm going to give them to Adam. I hope that's okay. So if you'd wear them for me, Adam, that would be great. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, Adam's about to put on what we can only describe as glorious wings. They're about six foot. They're sort of em- emblazoned with gold. Um, can he get them on over the guns? That's the question. Um, so he's writing to the, the church leader in Sardis saying, listen to this. Um, and um, and um, so he writes to the seven cities around there. They're in a, like, a bit of a trade circle uh, in a route. Do you remember last week Hannah spoke on Thyatira and she mentioned Lydia, uh, who was in uh, Thyatira, and she was Paul's first convert in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, so that whole region ended up being called Lydia after her. So these cities, people would travel between them on a circle selling their goods or buying and trading them regularly. And there's the island that John is on in, in Patmos, where he has this vision. Sardis was known for softness and luxury. It was known for apathy and immorality. It was known as the, um, the place you went to, for contentedness. It was an easygoing place. Now, out of all of the different cities that Jesus writes to, I personally think this one, it, just certainly how it struck me, is the one that is really relevant to us. To York, to the West, but G2 as well, but particularly just to any of us who are in this comfortable Western Christian context where we are not persecuted and where we can do whatever we like without anybody really minding. This is exactly the culture that they are in, in Sardis. They're happy people like them so uh, just out of interest they also invented coins in modern currency they worked out how to separate gold and silver and and they were the first people to make them into coins that you could like trade with Um, but they were also destroyed as a city in 1402 Uh, you can actually still visit them but they're like an archaeological site you know just um, abandoned as a city so it didn't go well for them So let's try and do better than them. Okay, then he says, what I thought we'd do, if it's all right with you, if we just go through each verse, and I'll pull out different things. I hope that's all right. Um, The slides don't get much more exciting than that, so sorry if that's what you came for. Um, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, before any of you get too excited thinking, is there like seven Holy Spirits? Is this like an Enneagram spirit? What, there's like seven types of spirits or something. And which type are you? That's not what, that's not what we're doing, right? Uh, seven is symbolic of completeness in Scripture. So throughout the Bible, seven is, it symbolizes wholeness, completeness, absoluteness, oneness. So when he says... Uh, these are the words of the one who holds the seven spirits of God. He's saying, these are the words of him who holds the completeness of the Spirit of God, the whole Holy Spirit. And, and we know who the seven uh, stars are that he refers to there in that verse. Because if you flick to Revelation one twenty, it says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So that's that mystery uncovered. Um, so uh, then he says, I know your, you, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive. Now, this is one of the, this is a kicker of a verse, isn't it? I think this is as close to passive aggression as Jesus gets. He's like, wow, you're really well thought of, aren't you? 
um, you know there's a next bit coming where it, I guess, makes it not passive-aggressive. He's like, you have a reputation of being alive. Well, most people have a reputation of being alive, don't they? Otherwise, they're not... Well, they don't have a reputation at all. So he's, he's about to uncover something. Jesus sees everything. Remember from last week, Jesus announces himself as having eyes like fire and feet of burnished bronze. You can't, he hasn't forgotten about you. He's not, not spotted something. So he's like, I've seen your deeds. I've seen what you've been up to. And I've seen that you've got a reputation for being alive. Reputation, I guess, is what other people think of you. And if you had a reputation for being alive, then assuming we're assuming you are already alive, you'd, you would be then busy, I would think. You'd have a reputation. If you, if you had a reputation for being alive, you'd be busy and potentially wealthy and active and doing stuff and always on the go. Does this remind you of the Western church? I think we are like this. I think we busy ourselves with the business of the kingdom and we forget about the king. We're racing around trying to make church and build church and we forget to spend time with him who's come who came to earth to spend time with us we're full of activity like they were so we have a reputation as a western church and g2 has a reputation in england and in the church of england particularly for being a great church for being alive we do have that reputation but you're dead sorry about that Jesus says to the people in Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now, the word he uses there is not uh, total deadness, like it's not deceased. Although, I guess if they were, he could still resurrect them. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying you are dormant. The, the word for dead is more like um, inactive and asleep, like full comatosed kind of thing. Um, my youngest, I've got two boys. My youngest is called Aaron, who's seven, and he likes doing very little. Um, he would be very happy on a Saturday to sit on the sofa and watch or play on, on the Wii or something. He would be very happy to do nothing at all. So uh, I've been explaining to him about the concept of lethargy, and he's now got this word in his mind so he says to me on because maybe on a Saturday morning if it's raining we might watch a film together we might play a game like on the kitchen table and then he might have a bit of time on the iPad and then maybe we'll have lunch and then he will say dad I can't do anything this afternoon I've got the lethargies I've, I've just got lethargy I can't do anything at all because we're like no let's go and walk the dog let's get out and do stuff he's like I can't why not I was really tired so we've been talking through, and, I've, and as I'm reading this, preparing for it, I'm like, this is what we're like as a church. The less we do, the less we want to do. The more we do, the more we want to do. But in this case, of course, doing all the wrong stuff puts us to sleep. So I guess Aaron is doing stuff, isn't he? He's distracting himself with his watching and his playing and whatever. Nothing wrong with all those things. But the more of that he does, the less he wants to get out and about. It's true for us as a church. The more we distract ourselves into our comforts, the less we want to do, the less alive we become. So this is the worst rebuke that Jesus gives to any of the cities in Revelation. He says, you're dead. 
You've homogenized with the culture. You've lost your distinctiveness. The stuff that made you stand out like that blue chair. You've lost it. You've lost your saltiness. You've lost your light. You just look like everybody else. You're lazy Christians, basically, who live in comfort and you don't want to upset anyone, you don't want to offend anyone, so you never stick your neck out, you never look different at work or at uni or at school or wherever people happen to be. They never, they never look different and they never say anything that will upset anyone and they always agree with whatever, whatever the, wherever the cultural wind blows and then they're dead. And Jesus is saying, that's no good. That's not what the church's men do. While Jesus was on earth, he didn't do that. While Jesus was on earth, and him and his disciples that followed him were persecuted for what they said. People stopped following Jesus. The gospel is offensive and it's hard to swallow and most people don't want it. If you preach the full gospel, most people don't want it. It's too hard to hear. And this church have been making the gospel fit. They've been making it relevant and making it fit their cultural box. And I think we've done the same in G2 and in York in general, in the West, in this country. We are falling asleep on the train. And the train is just coming to York and it's time to get off. Question is, do we wake up or not? Have we got lethargic in our church? Are we doing the stuff that Jesus tells us to do? Or are we dozing off? What's keeping you distracted in your life? What's making you sleepwalk through your own life? What makes you look exactly the same? When was that time that you had a chance to uh, really have a difficult conversation that would have been a good one, but a difficult one, but instead you sidestepped it because you just didn't want to upset anyone? Well, Jesus says, wake up. That's his message for us today as much as it was for them then. Jesus comes to earth with a big slap in the face for humanity to say, guys, wake up. Um, I mentioned that I travel on the train a bit. Uh, not too long ago, I went down to London, and it um, seems that things happen when I do this. Um, I became aware again in King's Cross of how often people were distracted on their phones, and so was I. I looked up and around. I was thinking, my word, this I'm in the Black Mirror episode. So I thought, I'm going to put this in my pocket, and I thought, right, I'm going to take half an hour because I was meeting someone, I've got half an hour, and I said to God, right, I'm fully yours. For half an hour, you've got my undivided attention. Which is generous of me, I thought, because it was in between meetings, so I squeezed him in. Because that's what we do, isn't it? So I've got half an hour. What do you want to do? I'm fully alert, I'm fully alive. What do you want me to see? And I kid you not, three seconds after that, I saw a guy that I used to work with, who I definitely wouldn't have seen if I was on my phone. And I was like, Roderick, honestly, I wish we had another hour in which I could tell you the stories of my former eccentric boss, Roderick Crawford. He's amazing. I absolutely love this guy. Anyway, I haven't got any time for that. I saw him. I was like, Roderick, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, uh, great to see you. Um, what are the chances? Uh, he was posher than I was. So he says, um, well, actually, I'm just on my way to Iraq uh, sort of organising a bit of peacekeeping over there and a little bit of the reconciliation things. Uh, got a few government agencies together and, uh, well, we're giving it a go. Um, wouldn't mind praying, would you? And I was like, absolutely, let's pray. Uh, so prayed with him, we chatted for half an hour and then I had to go, he had to go. 
Um, and I thought to myself, how much do I miss by being distracted? How much do I miss of what I could join in with? You know, when Jesus says, I look at what the see the Father doing, and then I get involved in doing that. And I think, I'm so often not looking for what the Father's doing. What if I zoned in? What if I woke up to what God was doing all the time? I wonder how often God's thinking, oh, brilliant, Luke's coming to London today. Or is he just doing his normal life? It doesn't happen in London only, does it? But, you know, oh, great, Luke's going to the golf club today. There's this guy who's just found out that his wife's got cancer and Luke's there, so he'll be able... Ah, he wasn't alert. Never mind. I'll think of another plan. God's always got another plan and he's never annoyed or flummoxed by that. But how often do we miss out on what we could join in with? If we were fully awake. So these words, wake up, I think, rung a bell. Um, They've rung a bell for me. Matthew 26, 36 to 46 says this from Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the same thing a third time. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. These words were said before, wake up. And I wonder whether John in his dream remembered them because if you notice, Peter was taken along with the disciples. It says Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. The two sons of Zebedee was James and John. So John was one of those disciples who fell asleep three times and Jesus had to say, flipping wake up lads, what are you doing? Why have you fallen asleep again? Honestly, this is, I really need you to stay awake now. This is really my hour of need. I am about to die and you are asleep. What are you doing? So John knows what it's like to hear the wake up message from Jesus. He hears it again then in his vision. And it must have resonated with him when he heard it. For Sardis, wake up. Don't sleep through this. This is your shift. And this is, I think, what Jesus says to us. This is your shift. This is your time to be alive. Guess what? You don't get two chances on planet Earth. Hopefully we'll get an eternity with Jesus in heaven, of course. But this is your shift on Earth. How are you going to use it? Are you going to doze through it? Are you going to distract yourself through your whole life and get to the end of it and then go, oh, Oh, I never watched season two of whatever, you know. Or are you going to be fully alive? Are you going to get to the end of your life and be pleased with how well you've used it? Are you going to be alert 
and miss, are you going to not miss the opportunities which God is going to give you? Now, I will put in a little proviso here to say that it's all right to sleep, just in case anyone's thinking, oh, uh, I quite need a lot of sleep and stuff. So, you know, so does every human. God is not saying don't sleep. When he says wake up, he's not saying don't sleep. And uh, you might think Jesus was harsh with the disciples when they fell asleep because they'd been awake for a long time and they were just having to sit there. But then there's a time when Jesus falls asleep that's kind of the reverse of this whole situation that happened in Gethsemane. There's a time when Jesus is asleep in the boat and there's a storm happening like there was today um, and the waves on on Galilee are getting up and the fishermen, disciples, lots of them were fishermen, are thinking... Like, this is curtains, lads. This is bad. This is a bad storm. We are not going to... We're going down. We're not going to make this. We're going to die. This is the end of our life. What on earth are you doing falling asleep, Jesus? They're annoyed with him. And they then wake him up. And he's like, ah, you're missing it, aren't you? Um, little faith. Okay, don't worry. Calm down to the wind. And, the, and they do. And we know that story. The point is, there are times in your life when... It feels like you're in a storm and it feels like life is whipping around you and you can't quite keep up. It feels like you're being overcome, like everything is too much. And, and you need to remember Jesus is in your boat. It is all right. It's going to be okay because he is in your boat. But there's also times when we're falling asleep and we need to wake up. There's times when we need to be alive and alert because God is and we are dozing off. So, then you get later in Ephesians 5, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Similar sentiment, wake up to the church. I think the church is probably the great sleeper, a sleeping giant. We should be shaping this country. We should be shaping the way that the world works. We should be shaping the way that people think, the way that our neighbours Uh, are wired the way that our mates choose to live their life because we've got the greatest message of all time not because we're better than them but because we've got the greatest message of all time which is that Jesus loved them so much they came to earth to die for them so that they might live forever with him and know his goodness on this earth and in the next that's good that's worth interrupting their daily narrative to speak about and it might upset some of them but it's worth the try anyway So, I think we as a church have huge potential, but we're dormant a lot of the time. Okay, I'm going to run through the final verses, if that's all right. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. In other words, you're not a complete finisher, are you, lads? You need to finish off here. When I say lads, by the way, I hope that's all right. I use that in a a gender-free zone. (laughs) A bit like guys or whatever. Lads, uh, I've got Irish relatives. They all say lads. I've picked it up. Sorry if that's been upsetting any of you. Um, Anyway, he's saying don't delay. Sort your game out right now. I've seen that it's not finished and it's time. You're like sunbathing on the beach and there's a tsunami coming in. It is not good. You need to wake up and get off the beach and start doing something about the situation that you're in. Remember, therefore... What you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, 
you will not know what time I will come to you. This isn't a comfortable picture of Jesus. He says he's going to come like a thief. No one wants a robber to come. Like, we often have these nice images of what Jesus is like. No one wants a thief. He's saying it's not going to be good. If you don't wake up to this message, it's not going to be good for you. You're going to get stuff robbed. You're going to be confused. So zone in now. Uh, the Romans had a method, all sorts of methods of killing people. They were particularly creative uh, in the way that they murdered. And I don't know why, whether they just had short attention spans. But there was, um, they had the, uh, the, the crucifixion. We know that one, the cross one. Everybody's familiar with that one. And that very nasty way of killing people. They had an, all sorts of different ones. And one of the other ones was they would tie you to a pole and then they would tie to you a corpse face to face um, so that you were literally face to face with a rotting corpse that had just been going off for a couple of weeks um, and strap it to you face to face. And if that happens, you, you die. You can't, you can't live. It takes about two to three days and you're just breathing in death until eventually you die because the air you're breathing is not good. That is kind of what he's saying here. He's saying you are falling asleep. You, you're like the fume. You're breathing in fumes. You're not breathing the clean air that I've got for you through the Holy Spirit. You're breathing like air that is kind of putting you to sleep. You need to stop breathing that air. Cut it off. This is killing you. You're dead, basically. It's time to repent and hold fast. Winston Churchill said... Uh, of Britain, just in, it said to Britain just before World War II, I must drop one word of caution. Next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. We are guilty of that, I believe, in our church. We're, we're a slothful church. We're comfortable. We are um, an overconfident church because we, I'm talking generally in the West, we have too much money. We have too much property and we have got stuff that gives us power that we shouldn't have, in my opinion. Um, and I think it puts us in a difficult place. When you see the church in other countries and other parts of the world where they, have, where they don't have those things, they seem alive and the gospel spreads fast. When we have all the power and the money and the comfort, it's struggle we struggle to spread fast yet you have a few people in sardis who have not soiled their clothes they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy now just to be clear the whole city of sardis has not followed through um well, that's not what he's saying here um I didn't know whether I could get away with that, and I'm not sure I did. We, t- we talked about it before. We discussed other things I also couldn't have got away with. Anyway, um, white here is a symbol of purity, and these people's soiled clothes uh, kind of remind me of growing up in the 90s, going to the, the pubs when you could still smoke, and then you'd come home, and you kind of wouldn't really notice. But then in the morning, your mum would come in. I was like teenage I guess before I'd gone to uni your mum would come in and be like have you been smoking I'd be like no oh you just smell like that if you go to the pub you just stink and I had been smoking but I could get away with it by that excuse which you couldn't use now so basically when you went to the pub 
you just couldn't help come home smelling of that smoke. That is what has happened to these people in Sardis in terms of their whole worldview, their whole attitude. They stink of smoke. They stink of the way that it exists. That, that, that is going on in that world. They stink of it. They, they, they smell exactly like the world that they're in. Apathetic, uncomfortable. The one who is victorious like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Um, in each of these seven cities, there was a city register, one of their customs was that they would have a book in which your name would be written when you were born. Or if you moved to that city, your name would be written there. So they had a, wrist, a, a written list of everyone who lived in that city there and then. But when you died, they drew a line through your name and because you didn't live there anymore. Where, and God is saying, he's speaking of eternal citizenship here. He's saying, what is on offer for you is worth staying pure for. We're talking about eternal citizenship in my kingdom. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a regular sign-off in these letters to the cities in Revelation. But he's saying, are you listening? Like I mentioned, I've got kids. I don't know how many times I've said something to my lads. And then I've said, are you listening? And they're like, yeah. What did I say then? Uh... And I used to do that as well. It's so, it's so often. But, I, but Jesus says, are you listening? Because he's partly thinking, just if there's an outside chance that you will listen now, but you weren't listening then, then I'll say it now. Are you listening to what I'm saying? It is worth listening up to. He says it when he's alive on earth as well, when he was walking around with his disciples. Do you perceive this? So many people hear the words, but don't perceive it. So many people misunderstand stuff. Are you listening? Are you awake? Do you need to wake up? Is today the day when you are going to become fully alive in Jesus? Is today the day when you're going to stop breathing in the rotten air of the world, the stifling hot air? Maybe you're going to start breathing in the fresh air of Jesus today. Perhaps you need to repent or have the slate wiped clean again. Maybe you need reminding of what you first received or heard in the gospel. But I think today I get a sense, I get a sense you're with me here. Um, I think we're going to wake up in our response. So would you stand with me? Jesus, we want more of you and we want to be fully alive to your goodness, to your message. We trust you. And we want you to wake us up send your holy spirit now we ask you to come holy spirit come into this room come into our hearts we open ourselves to you and we say yes please we want to be fully awake we do not want to get to the end of our lives and have regretted drifting through them we want to be more awake now than we've ever been in your name jesus amen